it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 145. Tonight, we have our good friend, Braden Dennis, back for another show. He's going to be talking to us from Canada. He is uh, locked up just like we are, but uh, he's got some great ideas for us. And for those of you who are not aware of Braden, for those of you who lived under a rock, uh, Braden uh, works with Stratosphere Investing. He's also with the Canadian Investor, which is, as of today, well, I guess more recently, is the top Canadian investing podcast in Canada, which is awesome. So congratulations, Braden, and thank you for coming back on the show. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been going on? What are your thoughts on all the fun with the uh, market fluctuations, shall we say, and the effects of coronavirus from your point of view? Fun is definitely a good word that you just used to describe it. Uh, another one would be awfully confusing. Uh and the third one I might use is just uncertainty is the name of the game when it comes to the stock market right now. And more than the stock market, our lives, our regular day-to-days are just kind of in this whirlwind. Every morning when I open up my laptop working from home, I have to check what day it is. I don't know when the last time I was in a routine where I just absolutely had no idea. So it, it is a weird thing. Um, and it is unprecedented in terms of history. This is a game changer. And for me, the way I think about it with my investments and, and my customers at Stratosphere Investing is what are you learning about yourself right now with the coronavirus pandemic? What are you learning about how you react in a bear market? That self-awareness is really, really key right now. And That'll unlock how you should think about your portfolio in the future and right now. If you are panicked on the sell button, then you need to rethink the type of companies you might hold and your style in general. If you're just not able to sleep at night knowing that 25%, 30% corrections in stocks is actually not a new concept by any stretch. So although this what we're dealing with right now is unprecedented and is historic. Market drops are not. So you have to take a step back, take a little bit of you know self-awareness. And for myself personally, quality, quality, quality. Quality businesses are the ones that you will be able to look in your portfolio and go, I know that this company in five years, 10 years, 20 years, will continue to be a great free cash flow generator and compounder. And that is how I look at my portfolio right now. So are you checking your portfolio every day? Are you like, kind of like, I'm kind of just honestly forgetting about it because I know that everything's down. So I just, I don't get too excited about it. So how do you kind of approach that? I'm checking up on mostly what, 
just because I'm interested from a macro perspective, what kind of stimulus that the Fed is planning on doing here in Canada, the Bank of Canada, and then obviously the Federal Reserve in the U.S. Uh, so I'm watching it from that perspective, and then obviously I'll be able to see what's happening in the market. But, you know, it, it's a good question because you have to know yourself as an investor. I know that if you were to take a heart monitor to me and see that positions drop 10% in a day and I get excited and not like angry or pessimistic, then I know that I can look at my portfolio. If you are not one of those people, then yeah, it's probably best you kind of tune out. You know, it's very hard to tune out of the news right now, but if you can not look at your brokerage account every day, that would be a good step. I would totally agree with that. And that's one of the things that I know I've tried to do and it helps kind of calm my nerves, if you will. So uh, what uh, there's been a lot of talk about the, the stimulus package here. Has there been, you know, the news doesn't talk much about other goings on in the world, especially when it's all focused on us. So tell me a little bit about kind of what's going on in Canada. How are, how are, how is the job market? Has there been the huge drop off with jobs like there has been here in the United States? Has the stock market in Canada been going crazy just like it has been here? So kind of help fill me in as, you know, somebody that's uh, unfortunately not tuned into everything that's going on up there. No, and it's fair. And, and our news is around what's happening with the Bank of Canada, as well as what's happening globally and in the US. You know, you guys definitely have the most important economy when it comes to the stock market and the global economy in general. So our news is definitely a mix of, of what's happening with you guys and the stimulus packages that are being suggested south of the border in America. But the Bank of Canada and, and the Canadian government has, has said that we are going to get increased employment insurance. And what that package looks like, I am no expert in at the moment. But it is very similar. You know, the, the, the freedom dividend from the, the old Yang gang never got, uh, never got to be seen as he dropped out of the race. Yet here we are, as it looks like. Every American will be getting checks and then unemployed here in Canada, the unemployment insurance is going to be juiced up a little bit as well. Certain companies, utilities, real estate companies have basically been giving grace periods. I believe that peak unemployment from this coronavirus could very well hit Great Depression levels. The peak of the Great Depression in the early 40s was 24.9%. I would think we are already getting pretty close here. I, I look out in Toronto and no small businesses are open as they have been mandated shutdowns of non-essential services. So based on just those numbers alone, the economy looks pretty grim right now. However, it is okay to be extremely pessimistic about the economy right now. It is okay. And still be an aggressive net buyer of stocks. You can be both. You can look outside and go, wow, the economy is in rough shape. And I don't see any sign of it improving. And still be an aggressive net buyer of stocks right now. Okay, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? So I, when I opened up my brokerage account, we were into, when I turned 18, we were already five years into the bull market. No, more than that, six years into the bull market. And it's been nothing but up from here. And if you were in a, a market historian and look back and see that this is the time when there's so much uncertainty and so much pessimistic and finite pessimism in financial markets, that this is the time to pick up quality businesses, assuming that you have looked at balance sheets. I heard on another podcast that this is the re-emergence of the balance sheet. Everyone, you know, you, you can have companies that like the last maybe four or five years 
companies are more than just their income statement. There's been a extreme amount of capital going into high revenue growth businesses that continue to bleed more and more cash, take on more and more debt with no signs of that changing. This is the re-emergence of the balance sheet. The first thing people are doing now is checking cash versus current debt. That's That hasn't happened since 2008. So I, I think that's really important. So if you can validate to yourself that there's some safety in the balance sheet, then you should definitely, definitely, definitely be a net buyer of stocks right now because the stock market doesn't wait for anyone. When this eventually clears up, it'll rebound and you'll be left in the dust. The stock market does not wait for you. You have to buy on the way down, knowing that you will probably never get the bottom and you will catch falling knives in the short term. But in the long term, net buyers of stocks have done well and will continue to do well. Yeah, I really agree with um, a lot of what you have to say with quality businesses. I am here today, by the way, just taking it Andrew, back what's to you. up, man? It's pretty nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, to move along with the, the quality businesses thing, I'm curious on your take, how much leeway do you give a quality business as far as a financial perspective looking forward because you know certain industries are definitely getting hit a lot harder than others airlines cruise ships uh anything in travel and hospitality hotels all those types of businesses getting absolutely hammered and so where you might have a business that previously was quality and then maybe it might not be um and there could be some economic uh developments out of their control so looking over the pa- the next 6 12 months how do you look at a business and at what point are you going to say this isn't a quality business anymore or you know what this is a quality business going through something they can't control but I think they're going to rebound That is a very good question because airlines cruises vacation companies hotels these companies are in very unique situations In 2014, airlines hit a pivotal moment where they used to bleed tons of cash. And all of a sudden, they became extremely profitable enterprises and buying back insane amounts of stock. I think I saw that Delta has bought back uh, stock with 96% of retained earnings over the last few years which is just insane because you know they might need to get bailed out. So that doesn't look too good for them. So when you look at these companies, you bring up a good point. What are they quality at one point and, and how are they looking right now? Well, hotels, airlines, cruises, these companies cannot survive just like any other company cannot survive without revenue. And they're in very, very unique interesting and and tricky situations right now and my simple take on it is they are definitely contrarian picks right now but they're going to be really really difficult to time correctly uh i one i know way more familiar which is air canada our biggest airline i got out of the stock a year ago um just just because i had locked up a nice gain and and growth was the valuation had got quite rich compared to when I bought it. And I look at that company at $12 today, it is or whatever. And it could go a lot lower. It could go a lot lower. It used to be basically a penny stock in the early 2000s as they couldn't figure out profitability, neither could any airline. So they weren't, uh, they weren't unique in that situation. So you bring up a good good question. It's it's a difficult one to answer because you're going to have to time it right. And I look at it more of a trade than an investment in the short term right now. 
And that's really, really hard and really, really tricky to get right. So I look at all of the opportunities out there, and this one's just really hard. I don't believe that I have any sort of advantage compared to anyone else in terms of when I pick up an airline or a cruise uh, or a hotel or other companies that are getting completely rocked by this that are completely shut down. Lululemon, the retail store, completely, completely closed until further notice. I don't believe I have any sort of competitive insight or good ideas about trading it correctly. So I'm just going to wait on the sidelines. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms. No more awkward conversations. Just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. 
I, I actually think waiting on the sidelines is the correct move for most of those type of businesses because for, for several reasons, but let's just go over a few general ones. Number one, because the market is at such a discount, you have so many great businesses that are going to be at a discount that it doesn't make sense to, you know, have to over, you know, you don't have to take that extra risk on a, on a stock that's in a place where they're not going to get revenue for two or three months, right? Like why do that when I can get this other great business that's barely going to get affected by the shutdown and that's still at like a 25% discount. That's, that's kind of the way I see it. B, I think what you said earlier is super, super key and something that might be easy to brush over, you know, and you don't realize how true it is until you live through it. But like that idea that it's cheap at, what was it, $12 or whatever, but it could go a lot lower. That's so, so true because so many of these stocks, I mean, just just a few months ago, three, four, five months ago, if a stock had a dividend of like 5% or 6%, it was like, oh man, that, that business is in trouble, right? Now you look across the board and it, it's it's not uncommon to see 9%, 10%, 11%, 12% dividend yields. And a lot of times you don't know if those dividends are actually going to get paid or not. So we're really investing in a new... It's It's definitely, like you said, an unprecedented time. There's a lot going on and and you really just you don't know how much farther these things can go and so unless you want to try to time a bottom i don't think there's much there's not that much to be lost in waiting and just letting the dust settle like for me i would like to wait at least a year after you know once you can see you can see the financial implications of this in the annual report in the years to follow so, you know, you don't have to try to be some sort of genius who um, picks up diamonds from from the ashes. You can kind of wait until it becomes more clear. And, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of other great businesses out there that aren't necessarily as impacted uh, on the coronavirus. I know, Brain, uh, off the air, we were talking about uh, a couple that have caught your eyes. So tell us. Tell us a little bit about those and um, what about the market situation now makes them very, very attractive. Well, what you just said about other opportunities also being discounted is extremely true. And, and, And this is exactly why you look at something like an airline and you have to time it correctly and you look at something that is not going to be as affected, they're still going to have revenue at a minimum and still down. It's the rubber ducky in a bathtub scenario where everything's down and the ones across the bathtub that are far from the leak are still going down because everything is and there's more sellers than buyers and that's why stock markets go down. So that's a very good point. And I'm going to I'm going to give a I'm going to give a little pitch for two companies that I think have the most powerful duopoly in the world that have been traditionally thought of as quite expensive. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's not true. Visa and Mastercard have dominated payments in developed nations for a long time with tons of room for growth in emerging markets as we become a cashless society. We look at these two companies and we think, oh, everyone already has a Visa and MasterCard in their pocket. Go to South America, go to India, go to Africa, go to parts of Europe. They are still a primarily cash society, not cashless. So these two companies, I'm going to talk about them equally because I would simply own them equally weighted. And I think there's a very important distinction that we have to clear up right away with these companies. They're always bucketed as financials, but neither Visa or MasterCard lend any money. 
And you might be thinking, how, how is Visa and MasterCard not lending in money? They are simply the solution between merchants and consumers in a cashless transaction. The banks and other financial institutions are the ones that actually issue credit and they take on that lending liability. So the banks. And these companies like Visa and MasterCard are so mischaracterized and they should actually be characterized as technology companies. And that's that in, in itself, a lot of investors, you know, flip the switch in terms of how they value things. I am not in that camp, by the way, but I believe that they are technology companies. So given that a couple of percentage points are taken off the top from, from a merchant and Visa and MasterCard don't get to take this line share. That goes mostly to the financial institution taking on the liability of giving out credit. Visa and MasterCard take a much smaller of the pie, like 20 basis points, like 0.2% or less, depending on the transaction, usually less. But it's like a death by a million paper cut scenario where they take a sliver off of every single transaction. So now that we've cleared that up, that they're not a financial company, let's talk a little bit about numbers. So they're global players, $362 billion in market cap, $250 billion market cap between Visa and MasterCard, respectively. And this was $100 billion in market cap more uh, a month ago or a month and a half ago. They have produced very, very similar metrics over the last decade, low tens in revenue growth consistently, not without missing a beat. Uh, 12.5%, almost 13% in compounded annual revenue growth, and low 20s in earnings growth, and high 20s, and even greater some years in free cash flow growth. They've been an incredible free cash flow generator, and they have insane free cash margins. They've gone from 10 years ago, Visa had a 30% free cash margin to a 52% free cash margin. And the result of that is a compounding machine that has not missed a beat with no signs of slowing. There's these law of large numbers. And I'm seeing this with a lot of US large caps as I, as I kind of look into your market more and more during this pullback. And the law of large numbers for some of these companies, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Visa, MasterCard, I used to think they're so tremendously overvalued. I, did, I was in that camp. And some of those I just listed are. But the law of large numbers for them is just not a thing. When they're growing, Amazon's growing revenue 40% a year. Uh, it's just insane. So the deep competitive advantages that Visa and MasterCard have that create such a strong duopoly really comes from there's no competition globally outside of China with WeChat and Alipay. There's innovations happening in payments, but there's no intention of people trying to innovate a new credit card. If no one takes your credit card, well, then you know, no one accepts it. And if no one accepts it, then no one uses it. No one has it in their pocket. You run into a very strange chicken and egg situation. And, and first to market here with Visa and MasterCard is very important. So if you don't have the card that the merchant is going to take, well, you just it doesn't matter. And there are very important innovations happening inside of fintech, but there's no disruptors of Visa and MasterCard. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. I imagine too, I mean, I don't know the exact economics uh, between like the value chain of, you know, I give my credit card, credit card gets processed, goes to merchant and, you know, they're somewhere in the middle. But I imagine it has very high switching costs. Um, and so it would probably be easier for Visa and MasterCard to raise rates by, you know, 0.01% or whatever, however much they want to do it year after year after year and still sustain a lot of their customer base. And that probably leads to a pretty nice competitive advantage. 
And I can, I can speak to that because I have experience with that. Uh, as a restaurant person, uh, I dealt with the credit card processing people and, uh, boy, that was lots of fun. Uh, they, uh, they're a tenacious bunch, shall we say, but, uh, that's what they compete on is the price of the, uh, transactions. And like you were saying, Andrew, they do have, uh, pricing power and switching is a colossal pain in the butt because you not only have to, to you have to make sure that your point of sale process is the processor that you want to switch to, which is can be complicated because not all the processors are configured to work with the different point of sale systems in in each restaurant. And it's not a not a standardized system across restaurants. And so you got that to deal with. Then you also have the deal the deal with the change of how the credit card is processed and when you get the money and getting all that set up with your bank because different banks will handle those processes differently. And the different processors that you work at, work with will give you your money anywhere from one to three days later. So if you and Brayden go out to, de- to eat and you pay with a, a, your debit card or credit card, the restaurant may not get their money until Saturday. And so that in and of itself causes a switching problem as well. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I can, I can speak to that part of their business. It's, it's definitely moat proof at this point. <laughs> it's incredibly sticky, uh, for those reasons that you just mentioned it, it, unfortunately hearing this, that it is not necessarily a pleasant experience, but I do want to mention that primarily if I, if correct me, if I'm wrong, you are talking about the technology of the point of sale system yes, and that's where there is competition however visa and mastercard are the rails the network the infrastructure that this all competes on top of and that's what's really really important is that yes there is competition in fintech but good luck your startup out of Silicon Valley going to angels or venture capital and proposing a new competitor to the Rails network that Visa and MasterCard have built, they will laugh you out of the room because it has failed over and over again to the point where no one even tries anymore. And what you are talking about is primarily the point of sale system. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, sometimes people get a little confused about like, for example, some of the uh, wallet options that the phones have been offering recently, like Apple Pay and things of that nature. Those are just another form of a, of a processing system, but it still uses Visa, MasterCard, Amex, whoever you put that card in, it's still using the same kind of system. So it's not really, like you said, it's not really interfering with with them. In fact, it's an organic growth driver for these two businesses, and they didn't invest a dollar. They didn't have to invest off their balance sheet to create growth. When you have innovators like Apple coming out with Apple Pay, which has been quite successful, this is driving organic growth from Visa and MasterCard. Everyone in the world that takes Visa and MasterCard are doing their best to drive business for them. And it's like that affiliate marketing type revenue model, or not revenue, but marketing model. It's incredibly powerful when you don't have to put towards any capital to grow and everyone is growing for you. You you run into an incredible business model and these two companies have just got it. They got the sauce. Yeah, it really sounds like they have a lot of things working for them. And like you said, I mean, if you are truly the rails and this network that's really putting all of this together, that's going to be really hard to replace. You did kind of read my mind a little bit, um, and so that's going to be what my next question was anyway, but balance sheets. So um, not to put you on the spot, but what 
what is the balance sheet situation for each of these businesses? Because obviously, liquidity is a big issue now. Um, there looks to be some rough patches in the economy in general over the next several months. So how does that situation look uh, for these companies um, as of right now? Sure thing. So Visa, for instance, will use for the sake of this exercise ended fiscal 2019 with about 21 billion in current assets and 8 billion in cash or cash equivalents. On the liability side, current liabilities were half of that at 10 billion. Uh, total, uh, to, sorry, correct that. Total liabilities, total current liabilities was 13 billion ending fiscal 2019. From a total assets to total liabilities, uh, two to one, basically on most metrics, they do have that seven, nine, eight billion in cash. For a company that's, you know, 400 billion in market cap, that seems like peanuts when you look at it compared to a Berkshire or a Apple or a Facebook. They have deep, deep piles of cash. Nothing to do with it at this point. I, you bring up a good question. Their their balance sheet is like all of those things I listed were mostly qualitative selling points. Check out their income, financial, their balance sheet, and their cash flow statements, and it is gravy, man. This is like all of those things I just mentioned are very nice qualitative, long term, deep competitive advantages. You'll be really interested in the stock when you see a 10-year income statement or a 10-year free cash flow statement growing free cash flow at almost 40% compounded annual growth rate. Uh, but hopefully that answers your question on, on what they're looking at in terms of current liabilities and assets. Yeah, no, it does. Um, let's let's wrap up the episode like this. That was This was really enlightening. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I think from here, you know, there's definitely some people who are interested in checking out these stocks, checking out other stocks like this. So when we mentioned the balance sheet, can you walk through for like a beginner, what sorts of things should they look for? And in particular, I'll, I'll add my two cents in too, because I have several positions in my portfolio right now. One is airlines. That's that's a pretty pretty big position for me. Uh, I have an airline stock. I also have a cruise um, stock, and these were bought before coronavirus. So I, I also have an energy stock. So wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Um, so I have <laughs> I have you know lots of balance sheet research to do, and have been doing in order to be like, oh crap, are these companies going to survive? Right. So. I guess that's kind of two ways I think that could be really helpful for investors. Um, so can you point in the first situation, uh, somebody who wants to look at a balance sheet and wants to know where to look first, where would they do that um, when it comes to Visa, MasterCard, or any cool idea that they have for a stock moving forward? So right now, the first thing that people, I talked about the resurgence of the balance sheet. First thing that people are doing is do they have enough cash on hand to make their short term liabilities? So when we're talking about current assets and current liabilities, these are things that are due or can be converted into cash within a year typically. And they need to be at the minimum, be able to pay their interest payments on long-term and short-term debt. That is the that is the key. And when you look at these airlines, things get really, really complicated because typically you look at cash and you go, okay, maybe, maybe they can't pay all their liabilities over the year in cash, but they're also generating free cash via the business. When a company like a cruise line has at least maybe 90% of their revenue shot. I mean, they, they still have some accounts receivable based on people basically soaking the cost of the cruise and not going. But 
No business can survive without revenue. These businesses that have interest payments to make, short-term liabilities, you got to be able to make sure they can cover it. And it gets really, really scary when they can't. And it's just the situation that we are in that many won't be able to. It's just the, the way that we are in a very, very unique situation. So investors need to be aware of that, that there could be a massive shakeup in the economy and in the companies that we look at right now in the next three, six months. Who's to say? I have no idea. If I knew for sure, well, I would be the richest person on the entire world because I'd be able to just day trade my way through a couple uh, money multipliers. The fact that that is not possible leads to uncertainty that rules this market right now. And that's what we're dealing with. I agree with that. Um, There's just so many different things. And I think if somebody who's like absolutely green to this and doesn't even know where to begin, try not to freak out. Um, Yes, the numbers are there, but there are also a lot of different factors that go into the numbers. I'll give like a quick example. So let's, let's go back to the airline stock example. Um, This is going to be talked about a lot in the months to come. And and as people dissect what really went on here, but it's just been absolutely insane how little liquidity these airline companies carried. And when I say liquidity, I basically mean cash, cash that's available on hand. And so that is a big reason why um, a lot of them are calling for bailouts because they just don't have the cash because none of them ever thought that you know they wouldn't have flights happening, you know. What was it? Uh, like a day was the longest it had been closed after nine eleven, or or however long it was. I don't, I don't really remember. But you know that was a factor. But at the same time, they also had a bunch of cash. They've had record earnings, and and all they did was buy back shares. A lot of the businesses, you know, Brandon, you talked about Delta did that, and other airlines still, um, American Airlines to call one out. Uh, loaded up with tons and tons and tons of debt. Uh, I looked at American Airlines balance sheet recently and they have negative equity. So they don't have shareholders equity. They have a shareholders deficit. So that's going to be interesting. Um, in my just like uneducated, whatever, like I feel like they're the ones most likely to get bailed out because their name has American in it. <laughs> it, just seems like, it just seems like something uh, people in power would do. But you know, anyway, so so a bailout could come and and make the numbers work for some of these businesses. Um, somebody could come in. So this happened with uh, Occidental. I, I don't know how to pronounce them. Ticker symbol O X Y. They were having some big liquidity issues, and then Warren Buffett came in and said, "Here, I'll loan you a bunch of money." Um, and I don't know what the whole terms of the deal were, but I'm sure if it was Buffett, he was getting something out of it that was very beneficial for him. So it doesn't always need to be a bailout from the government. Um, other people can loan these b- businesses and corporations money that doesn't necessarily come from a traditional bank. You could have, uh, even if a company doesn't have cash, they could have a lot of um, big assets that they could sell. And so that could keep them afloat through a time like this. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a, it's a good exercise to look at, okay, what's the cash? What's the current liabilities? Like Brain said, what's the current assets? So, you know, current assets will tell us how much cash do they have? How much are the accounts receivable? That's money coming in in the next six to 12 months. And, um, a couple of those other things, you know, what, what, what type of money do they have? invested that they can pull out really quickly. And then you can compare it to the current liabilities and you can kind of... I wouldn't say you just look at those numbers and be like, oh, they're going to die or, oh, they're fine. I think maybe using that and comparing them to other businesses in their same industry. And I think what you'll tend to see is 
the you'll see the weak ones will be the ones who who take the the biggest brunt of it and um, end up going under, while the other ones will find a way to survive. But it's because they've had relatively stronger balance sheets, and you know some of that can be attributed to having a stronger brand name too. So, you know, if you have an airline uh, that has a better brand, uh, you know, kind of like customer goodwill than another, that one might be more likely to survive or, you know, even get bought up by somebody else. So if they get bought up now, you're in a situation where you probably made a profit on your shares instead of felt like you're going to lose all of it. Um, and so that's where something like, you know, kind of going back to the MasterCard Visa thing, having name recognition can really be a huge factor that you don't see in the balance sheet, but it is a factor in not only the way that the business runs, but also in the way that it plays out in the stock market as well. So I think those are all things to kind of consider. Hopefully it wasn't like shooting you with a fire hose, but, um, you know, Different factors will go into these balance sheet numbers. Um, revolving credit is something you'll hear a lot too. A lot of these businesses have basically like lines of credit. And so they'll, they'll start pulling from it. And, and, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the 8K SEC form. And so that's the form that companies will send out when they're updating you. Management wants to tell you what's going on. And so I've been getting a lot of emails about different companies in my portfolio who might be pulling from their revolving credit lines. And so they're building cash in those ways too. So I think somebody going into it maybe might feel really, really overwhelmed. Just try to take it a step at a time. These businesses won't disappear overnight. Um, But if you at least do, let's say, 30% of the work of knowing, hey, this is what they're general balance sheet looks like and it's way better than this competitor and it's comparable to this other competitor that's the type of analysis that i think puts you that much further ahead and gives you that much more of a confidence level to be able to stick through this storm and understand that most not even most a high percentage of the businesses involved are going to get through this that's just how it's always been and that's how it's going to be and that's because humans are resilient. We are fighters and we will push through any adversity like this. You bring up a good point. And people who are looking to potentially pick up these stocks on the cheap, they should be aware, uh, you know, chances are bailouts will ensue and, you know, they won't go to zero. However, these bailouts are going to come with all kinds of conditions, whether it's, you know, Buffett throwing the life raft, like you mentioned, or the Fed bailing them out, all kinds of conditions, all kinds of share dilution. So it's not a free ride. I think that notion has been tossed around during the last couple weeks. It's just not the case. However, knowing that backstop likely does exist is definitely reassuring. Dave, you had did did you have Citigroup back in the day when it went like from whatever uh, my, it was like 90% yeah, lost? Yeah, my ex-wife did actually. She uh <laughs> uh she she bought it uh at the time and yeah, it went uh it went it went down 90% and then um not too long after that they did a 9 for 1 share stock split, which was even more um you know, awful. Uh, so, you know, instead of having one share, you got nine shares for your 10 bucks. So it went down to a, uh, you know, a dollar a share instead of $10 a share. It was, it was ridiculous. So that little split is like, Oh, let's just sweep that up. Yep. Pretty much. I, I don't remember if they had a bailout or not. They might, uh, they were, they were, they were part of, they were part of the, the, um, Oh gosh, I'm going to blank on the, the name of the banks, but yeah, they were definitely they were definitely part of the too group. Big to fail. Yeah, they were part of the too big to fail, and they were definitely part of the uh, uh, the group that got caught with their pants down with the uh, subprime mortgages, uh, mm-hmm. along with Bank of America. Lehman Brothers. Yeah, Lehman Brothers. Um, so yeah, they were they were definitely part of that. Yeah, so that I mean that confirms Brand's point exactly. You know, uh, the business survived. 
And hopefully more people kept their jobs, but the shareholders were the ones who took the brunt of it. Yeah, they definitely they definitely got hosed, that's for sure. So I sound awfully pessimistic about the economy and on about the, some, on that cheery note. <laughs> some some companies. It's true. And this comes back to my point. It is okay to be aggressively pessimistic about the economy. And you probably should be. Yet, you can still be aggressively buying stocks right now because in a few years, you will thank yourself. You absolutely will thank yourself. So stick to quality, knowing that you're making the right decision at these companies that can at least make these liquidity ratios that you just talked about current ratio and liquidity uh, quick ratio being over one, that's a very good start. Being able to make sure they meet those short-term liabilities. But still, you can be an aggressive net buyer of stocks right now and you will thank yourself. So it's okay to think to, to be a little confused. Most people are. That's 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 totally normal but you will thank yourself as an optimist, long-term investor. Can, can yeah. we get a guarantee on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to say in, in five years that you will thank yourself. I, I am totally okay sounding off on, on a five-year term. A five-year, it's easy. Yeah, I think we could all agree with five years. Three, <laughs> six months, it can definitely get much worse before it gets better. And if you can ride out that volatility, then hey, all the power to you. If you can't ride out that volatility, then you need to be making different decisions. No, it, it, it's really well said. Um, thanks for coming on, Braden. This has been fantastic. Where can we uh, learn more about you, hear more from you and all of those th- sorts of things? I am on a weekly podcast called The Canadian Investor, which is available on all the places you get podcasts. We have a weekly episode. Uh, right now, we're doing a little bit more than a weekly episode because we have time and the markets are so interesting right now. And then additionally, on my website, stratosphereinvesting.com. But if that's too hard to spell, I can't blame you. Go to getstockmarket.com. That is G-E-T, stock market. Dot com and that'll redirect you to my website. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Braden. We certainly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come talk to us. And this was a lot of fun. I, I know I learned a lot, so that was awesome. Wait, wait, busy day, man. I'm going to be on the couch regardless. <laughs> I've got nowhere to be. <laughs> I, I was trying to be optimistic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that though. No, seriously. Thanks for having me on guys. This has been fun. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Braden. I know I certainly did. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. Uh, smart guy and uh, very energetic and outgoing. I love him. I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. If on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.